I'm like, what? <laughs> first thought you no. said. I was like, no, why would you say that? No, I didn't say that. No. But I thought you did at first. Like, what? Oh, kale. Okay. That's massaging different. kale, not massaging. <laughs> oh, no, ma'am. the open-ended podcast where two best friends talk about tech and culture with a side of sass i'm james d green and i'm on my second cup of coffee and i'm not doing the jitters yet and i'm sure vincent and i am matching james today for the umpteenth time i feel like i have been matching you in clothes and in personalities for the past few weeks i think it's literally been for the last two weeks we've had some sort of clothing item that has been a complete match yeah i think my favorite is the day we both wear plaid you were wearing blue plaid i was wearing blue plaid and you were wearing red plaid and um yeah i think we're wearing similar hats too god i need to stop hanging out with you for radio land listeners here (laughs) we're both wearing very similar gray sweaters down to the material i just touched his arm (laughs) and yeah it's the same material but we're not here to talk about clothing. Not today. We're here to talk with our guest. Who do we have here? Fidencio Martinez. Thank you so much for coming down and uh, hanging out with us after- this afternoon. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Yes. Can we just say for a moment that I think you might be beating out one of our guests as like the best voices on radio right now. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I was, <laughs> I was really nervous about that. but no. Oh no, you have a great voice. No, you sound really good. <laughs> <laughs> So for uh, listeners at home who don't know who you are, um, how do you fill your time? Well, right now I fill my time by cutting a lot of paper. So spending a lot of time in my studio and then um, I work for the National Museum of Mexican Art as a little art instructor for the the young kids. So educator. Yeah. Excellent. So um, you had mentioned that you cut up paper. Mm -hmm. What do you cut your paper into? So I cut it, I cut it up into a lot of things. Um, I'm interested in manipulating paper and making it something else that is un- unexpected or hopefully maybe into another material. So I cut it up right now into just the fence motif and take parts away from a, a, a map. Yeah, just manipulate the hell out of paper. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of your art, I think I, as much as I've seen, is based on maps. Mm-hmm. So what's your fascination with maps in general? A few years ago, I was interested in maps because I was interested in the routes that the smugglers took me and my, my, my mom in order to get to the U.S. or through the U.S. border. And so I was interested. I, I got my first map just because I wanted to know what the routes were, the possible routes in getting me to the U.S., and so I started to cut out the parts that didn't make sense. And by the end of my first day, I had th- this possibility of routes that I took. But also this rich visual material that I, I thought I could make something out of that. Okay. And so that's when the fascination started. And then yeah. I just started cutting more maps and more maps um, to see just how far I could take it. That's really interesting. Um, where in Mexico um, were you smuggled from? I was born in Oaxaca, Mexico. And so we made our way up to the north. The north of Mexico and then... How old are you when you, like, when, when did this start? When did this start, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it started when I was seven years old. Do you remember, do you remember Mexico? Have you been back or have you... Uh, no, because of the nature of how we got here, sure. literally thrown through a fence, we 
don't we don't just don't have the possibility of going back, which is the case for a lot of millions of people. For sure. And so I haven't been back. Um, and then over time, I just forget more and more things about my my hometown. And so, how did you feel like the art was your escape? And I hate to mm. use like this, like it was just such it. such it's some so such cliche. a metaphor cliche, that's so yeah. cliche. And I realized that as soon as I came out of my mouth, but just like, how did, how did you feel? But it's also true. It's it's true. Yeah. Because I, it started, I think the year that I moved to the U S I didn't know any English. And so I went from being this quote unquote, really bright student in Mexico to then coming to the U S and not knowing a single word of English. And I I actually was held back in second grade. Um, And it was because I didn't know English. And so the next teacher that I had the next year, Miss Ward, was an incredible teacher. She, she got me my first coloring book ever in my life. And that was a beautiful gesture. But also she did it because it was better for me to do something with my hands than to just sit there and, and not know what was happening. Um, and so that was the first, the first time that I was doing art in order to like draw pictures to communicate with the teacher also. Mm. And so after that, the next teacher knew that I was into art and then she would let me decorate her bulletin board. And then every teacher in elementary school did that after that. That's awesome. And then it just never stopped until I got to college. So would you feel like that initial introduction kind of inform your aesthetic right now because right mm-hmm. now it has like a very cut and paste style collage mm-hmm. in every one of your works even uh, just the lines and the coloring and stuff like the coloring books are like you know things you fill in mm-hmm. so. um, yeah like there was a particular piece i wanted to talk about and it was the widow's veil mm-hmm. piece um, with the cut maps and almost like these appearance of shadows yeah can you tell me a little bit about that one yeah so getting back to the, the initial question of does that influence right have any maybe correlation with the work now and it does because back then i was drawing coloring um to pass time but also to communicate with the teachers and now i see my work as like trying to get this message across maybe teach the viewer that come see it a little bit more about the artist but also this this thing that is happening happens but usually doesn't have a face to it um and so the, the widow's veil that the conversation for a few years has been about like making a border, making a, a wall, making it blah, blah, blah. And people forget that it, someone has to make it. Um, and it's, it's just a thing that's going to come down. And so I, I, I wanted to make that piece um, mostly also to just open up the wound of like how I feel about a wall. What does it mean that I get to make it? And so th- that one is just like my own experimentation of trying to make this life-size wall out of paper. But it also has something to do with the conversation that politi- politicians have of mm-hmm. um, someone has to make that wall. What does it mean? And a lot of th- the time, construction is done by a particular group of people. And so I'm like subtly talking, I think, about all these things, survivor's guilt the labor which is why people migrate um and then this wall that is the root of it all and so i'm still sort of trying to dissect it because it's an ongoing project of just making this life-size wall to see how long i can make it um and that's what that is and it plays with the shadows it plays with the environment that it's it's constructed in and then installed 
um, a place with people's movement once they walk into the gallery. And because it isn't made out of paper, once the AC comes in or someone walks by it, it starts to shift. So it has this very, this intentional relationship with the viewer that has to navigate that room. Yeah, because um, I remember when I first saw your work, it was at the Grace Church. Mm-hmm. You were, um, are you still an artist in residence there, or it just ended? No, I'm still there. Still I think there. I have like three or four months left in oh, the okay. residency. Very yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, and I think what I really liked about it is because I didn't really understand what it was, mm-hmm. and, I, and those are, those are always my favorite pieces when I see like because I thought it, it reminded me of this work that I saw a few years ago at the MCA of like. Um, fabric being thrown with battery acid and the material oh. and it kind of deteriorating. Oh yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we did, and it was just like, what is this? What am I looking at? And when yeah. you told me that you like literally cut, painstakingly cut these little bits of pe- um, paper into it, and it's almost like a collage piece. It was mm-hmm. completely different. But I also love that there is still room for interpretation because it just looked like something that, while you were kind of piecing together, for me, it looked like something was destroyed. What I'm trying to say is. Um, with your pieces, does do you feel like it's a construction or a deconstruction of the maps? I think it's a deconstruction of the maps, but it's also at the same time building something that is different, hopefully, beyond just the map. Maybe because I'm making it, it's now become something that's beyond just the map. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's talking, maybe it's an object that functions, but also talks about the person that ultimately used it. So For it's sure. no longer... It's, it's it's another object in itself that maybe doesn't have a word yet, but that's the way I see it. It's a deconstruction and then a construction of something else. And then I like that you said that there's a mis- mysteriousness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really, I think as human beings, you're fascinated when you see something and you don't know how it's made. Yeah, and, and it, was, it was really interesting to hear the backstory. And for yeah. me, I I can't, I can barely cut in a straight line. So like, <laughs> is like, oh my God, you did all that. That's incredible. And I just mm-hmm. think that all the work that was um, put into it too shows certainly. But oh, thank um, you. Yeah. yeah, but I also do want to get back to the wall um, mm-hmm. and all that mucky stupidness yeah. about it because it's horrible. Um, John Oliver, he did a really great expose on it a few weeks ago about the idea of the wall and how like how not as only just, you know, completely horrible idea, but like it's financially horrible. Yeah. It will cost yeah. like they're like the first it's cost like two million dollars. It would actually cost about thirty to fifty million dollars. Yeah. And just just it's so stupid. But people would be making that wall like you were talking with James earlier. It's Mexicans, they wanted Mexicans to build the wall that, that yeah. would keep them out, and it's yeah. like, what the fuck are you talking about? The U.S. was had a clear stance when it mm-hmm. when there was a border in East Berlin, mm-hmm. North and East. Yeah, and then a lot of politicians were saying like, take da- the wall down, blah blah blah, freedom, exactly, U.S. Uh, but yet we are perpetuating. Yeah, like, now we're trying to build a wall. Literally, yeah. Literally, you're trying to build a wall, yeah. and and that was, that's that's interesting that you mentioned that because I was talking that with my father, um, about a month ago, just about like, doesn't it happen? And also the 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 you know the um, king of Republicans, um, Reagan was the one who broke it down, and they're all, and Republicans are always you know thirsty to bring up Reagan, like oh he was like it was a best yeah. president we read. Mm. It's like yeah, and he broke down a wall. Mm. And now you guys are trying to build a wall. Like, what what would he say about this? Like, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's a bunch of, ugh, God, it's horrible. It's a depressing, it's depressing, uh, weird time. When I saw your work, I it reminded me a lot of just that barrier, mm. yeah, and how like 
through the through the um through the you know the the the, the roadmap and just the holes honestly the little holes in the work how you're trying to get through it and it reminded me of also of your story when you said you got smuggled through a fence i mean like yeah, I, I like that um because it talks about the fragility of actual borders and mm-hmm. and any barrier that through time or through people's maneuvering around it or through it it is going to come down For regardless sure. of how much money you throw at it mm-hmm. um, it's just the nature of the situation especially when latin america or mexico just keeps getting worse and then also too you like you grew up in not a real like there wasn't much of a, a was there a like latina community where you were or it's really bizarre because when i grew up so when we moved to the u.s or whatever you want to call it um we landed or got set free whatever <laughs> in north carolina um which is definitely a lot of people's that's not a lot of oh, origin stories oh, everybody yeah. goes west everybody yeah. goes to california or texas they do not go on yeah. the east coast yeah it was really bizarre or time. chicago like they don't they don't go east of chicago really yeah absolutely so at the time when we got there there was there were no brown people practically um it was, it's funny because i tell people that dawson's creek and one tree hill were filmed there <laughs> yes and <laughs> Huge Montreal fan, James says. Put it on the record. <laughs> I don't even care. That's what it felt like too. That's awesome. They would film at my high school, and oh my God, that's yeah, amazing. you'll see friends every now and then in the show. They like slip in or buy, but that's what it was. And it was this weird world where the teachers would say, "Work hard, and you'll do, you can do anything." But the reality was that um, that wasn't can, for you. Yeah, for me specifically, and. Because I was a lot of the time growing up the only brown person in my class, I really, those would be the times where I didn't fit in. And having maybe gone to Chicago or the West Coast would have been that I would have had a network of people that at least knew what I felt like. Exactly. But because I grew up in one tree, the backdrop of One Tree Hill, <laughs> um, I felt like no one but my brothers really knew what our experience. Sure. So it was this weird, weird place that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you felt even more of an outsider than yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, and totally can relate to some of the things that you two have said mm-hmm. um, about just growing up, quote unquote, as like the outsider. Yeah, and just trying to find your your niche, find trying to forge your path yeah. in that very predominantly white establishment. Yeah. Which and yeah, and gosh, I can't even imagine because I mean you were already in America, so that's already like, you know, foreign to you. Yeah. And now you're in an even more foreign environment just locally. Gosh. Yeah. But it was fun. I yeah. It, it wasn't all darkness, whatever. For it sure. was it was still the drama that was One Tree Hill and <laughs> um it felt like that. Like that's what it felt like going to school. So it it had it ups and downs. Sure. Yeah. Because there was no Latinos there, I could get away. I think people wouldn't automatically assume that like I was this undocumented person. Like I remember going to actually the the store once, and there was someone that was clearly had just gone off work from like working a landscape job, mm-hmm. and I was with my friend, uh, this tall blonde girl, and she looked at him and she was like, "God, can't they dress?" like better and not be seen practically like she was very much pointing to the fact that he was definitely not probably here legally and i was i that stuck with me so much because Mm. i was exactly like that person exactly but just because i had different clothes or my voice sounded different i got away with it um Mm. so it was this very weird place where i don't know i felt like i could maneuver the line 
uh, how is that how's those experience like come out in your art because you've gone through not just undergrad but you also gone through mm-hmm. um graduate i mean you got your mfa so like how how, the, how those experiences help with your art at all i feel i feel better about taking a stance mm-hmm. um about what my work what i want my work to do like i know that i went through then a bfa ma mfa all of that uh, which was great but not everyone can do it and I realized that. So I want my work to speak to the people that I grew up with, like in my block that, you know, would go to jail or have kids at an early age. So I want my artwork to always be in line with with something that they can relate to. But also at the same time, I want it to be conceptual and and about the material and a little bit deeper also um, acceptable. Also, maybe that's not the right word. Um, to this fine art world because I I did go through that and I appreciate it also. So I want my work to function in those two spaces. And so I think that's that's what I've gotten living those two different worlds from an early age to now. Do you ever feel like an outsider sometimes in the art world? And how, yeah. do, you, how do you navigate that? Because I know a lot of times I yeah. feel that way. Yeah. Especially with residency oh, yeah. programs too. Yeah. Uh, I yeah always always feel like an outsider I think getting back to why I make the work listening to NPR and hearing them talking about those people fuels me to put my story out there or like make my work um, just hearing getting back to why I make work then I can make the work it's really this weird thing of like just going back to the source feeling emotional again as to why I'm here and will just give me energy to make the work. Mm-hmm. And a lot, going through MFA and the MA program was really difficult because I think those places, I feel like, were, are not meant for people of color. That's what it felt like a lot of the times. And not to diss on Iowa, because that was, I think, the best thing I've ever done. But yeah, people would point out your otherness before you would even recognize it. Mm. And so... But that in itself fuels me to just keep working. Like I'm not totally. at the same time I am making work for the viewer as an artist, but I'm making it also for myself. Like I I can't just make work that pleases someone. For sure, and I think that's what you have to do. Yeah. You have to you have to make it work for you. Like if you you can't, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not an artist, but I feel like if I were or when I make any kind of work at all, yeah, yeah. I have to make it for me. If I like it, then I then it doesn't matter if anybody else like because yeah, you have because you have to live with it. Yeah. It's it's the, it's the work that you put out, you know. And I don't know. I I resonate with that for for sure. So, like as a fellow person of color in the art world, I sometimes feel this pressure mm. that I always have to talk about identity yeah. and blackness. Yeah and the black experience yeah. and anything that stems mm-hmm. from that web. So how do you feel, mm-hmm. you know, talking so much about your experience? Yeah. And I know sometimes a lot of white collectors and curators eat that shit up yeah. and want to show that type of work. Yeah. So how do you straddle this line between wanting to tell your story, but not feeling yeah. like commoditized or mm-hmm. tokenized? Well, I haven't met any of those curators yet. Good luck. So I don't have that experience. But I, I, I sort of want to ask you first before I answer it. Oh, man. I'm, putting, I'm getting put on the spot. All right. What's up? <laughs> you haven't said much, James. <laughs> I'm a listener. I'm a listener. Yeah. What's up? 
Oh, so the question that you asked me, like, how yeah. do you, how do you feel about having to make work, and yet it's always categorized as cat. That's not a word, but um, as Close identity, enough. identity work. Right. English is not my first language. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. It's all good. So, how do I feel about it? Yeah. Oh boy. About all right. Just walking that line. Man, I feel like I'm an artist talk right now. Um, personally, I know whatever work that I'm going to make is going to be made from the black experience mm-hmm. because I'm okay. black. And, oh man, there's this great uh, video. Do you, do you remember the YouTube series Art Thoughts by Hennessy Youngman? Oh, yes. Yeah. So... <laughs> There was this one is my video. blind spot. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm keep quiet. You so, would love it. Yeah. yeah. So it's by this artist, Jason Moosen. He's from Philly, but lives out in New York. And he made these videos that was from this character that he created called Hennessy Youngman, who had the best hats nice. ever. Always wore koozie sweaters. Ah, koozie. And but he would talk about artistic um theories and a lot of things that like if you did an art program especially an MFA program you would like know about like who casually talks about the hyper real other than (laughs) a bunch of artists just like hanging around. So he did a series about, I I think it was about painting and how a painting can be visually interpreted differently depending on what artist makes it. Mm. It was like, I have this painting of this flower and if it's made by a black artist, it's about pain (laughs) and transition (laughs) and the terribleness of the black experience, but like if a white male painter paints the same thing, it's like, oh, look at this pretty flower yeah. type thing. If a woman paints it, it's about sexuality. Where it's a vagina. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So that very long segue to say, I know whatever it is I talk about, it's going to be put through the blends of the black experience. So yeah. if I feel it needs to be made, I'm going to make it. Yeah. Like I had a series of work that was a lot very put into the lens of all the bullshit happening with you know black death right now yeah and i made it originally just because like i needed it as an escape of a way to like get it out of my head yeah and out somewhere else but there was also a part of me and i think i talked about it artist talk was like oh man like i kind of feel partially guilty because this is exactly what is expected as like Mm. a black artist is like all right black artist when are you going to talk about black lives matter type stuff um so like i'm still honestly trying to learn through it years later like i'm not doing it perfectly i know i'm not but i mean i now know when i'm being tokenized Mm. and i know that i am at the privilege and position where i can say no okay i'm not going to be in the show i'm not going to do your panel talk i'm not going to do this thing because i have a bad feeling about why you're reaching out to me yeah so it's like a fine line between knowing who to align yourself with, at least to me. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that was a good answer. Um, <laughs> good job. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so I definitely think I agree that it's a transfer, transference of energy, which is, yeah. I think, why I also um, am inclined to make this tangible thing, just to get that energy, which a lot of the time is pretty dark, to get it out of me. Yeah. Right. Um, how do I feel about that being being token the token mexican undocumented artist yeah i think when people ask it it's so weird when they ask but i don't half of me doesn't feel bad like i don't give a shit if you want to make me feel bad about making artwork that is just about the border because if i don't make that work then someone else is going to make the work 
Or most likely, it's going to be NPR hiring some white guy that's going to make a story about this. So it's a secondhand source talking about these things. And so when I think about that, then it's like, oh, I do not feel bad then about making work because it's better to get the the source directly from someone that has gone through it. Mm -hmm. And those times I'm like, whatever, I'm going to do it. And because I need to get that energy out. Also, it's therapy in a way. Just get that energy out of me. Yeah, so, it's, it's very similar to the quote-unquote rules yeah. of journalism Yeah, when it comes to breaking a story or telling a story, to trust the source mm. that is out there living the experience first yeah. before an outsider coming in. Yeah, And it's sort of like, I kind of feel that, not necessarily guilt, but kind of mix of shared experiences yeah. too when it comes to making work about that. Because, like for instance, where I live now, I'm not living on the far south side of Chicago. So I don't have necessarily the experience of mm-hmm. dealing with violence on the daily. I can walk, get a boozy cup of coffee yeah. and like do all that stuff. Yeah. So it's like sometimes I personally kind of battle with like, where can I cross mm-hmm. the line of talking about certain things? Because I'm coming from a point of privilege with education, yeah. financial, so on and so forth. Yeah. And I know like not to like pat myself on the back here, but I guess maybe it's something that other people could do. Like, like passed up a show opportunity and given it to somebody who can oh, better yeah. speak on this experience than me. Mm. So I don't know if it's like a responsibility thing that sometimes people have to have when they're making work and transferring that energy. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's like a mindfulness. This has been an awesome conversation <laughs> and I would love it to continue. But um, okay. for those who um, don't know you and want to find you online mm-hmm. and stuff like that, where can they find you? Most likely Instagram, which I know you two feel very different about, maybe. But I like Instagram. I okay. Anyways, I love. <laughs> I like Instagram, just because it it gets into this thing of visibility. Like mm-hmm. I want. When I was little, or when I was in high school, I would look at Fabiana Rodriguez, Culture Strike, Juliano Solgado, uh, people that are making really political yeah. work, mm-hmm. and. They were the fir- for the first time I was looking at, looking at undocumented queer artists online, and that was incredible for me. So now, as a much older person, um, I <laughs> want to make content that someone is going to stumble upon and feel the yeah. same way. So I feel no shits about being on Instagram, right? Do or you? Tumblr. Do yeah. you? Right. I have my issues because I don't like taking selfies. Yeah. So like you're fine. Like okay. I think it's yeah. I have a few, maybe not even that many, but yeah, yeah. Um, that's where my. But that's like a personal thing that yeah. has nothing to do with the actual format. It's I think okay. I think the platform of Instagram is wonderful and revolutionary, I, I and I'm glad that it, it's there. I agree with you on Tumblr, though. You had a really good conversation a few oh, weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, Tumblr. Yeah. On Tumblr. <laughs> but yeah, so you can find me there on um, Instagram, Fidencio.m.betis. So that's my handle thing. That's mostly, that's pretty much it on Facebook. Facebook. Or email, just email me. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I, have uh, you f- I forgot, I oh. have a website. But oh my yeah. god, go to, dude, dude, what's the website? <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay. No, it's like what the website it's funny because I... Never, I don't ever get asked this question, but my website is just my name. But yeah. Benicio Martinez. Martinez.com. Well, you need to edit some of this. That's fine. That's what the beauty is. It's, it's fine. We'll probably keep all of it, but it's because mm, no, it's, it's adorable. Okay. <laughs> and we're adorable. And you're adorable. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You.
This episode of Open Ended is sponsored by Podcast Movement. Looking to start a podcast on your own? This year, Podcast Movement, the world's largest podcaster conference, will be in Chicago. Learn more at podcastmovement.com and use CPC to save $30 off registration. That is Podcast Movement here on the CPC Chicago Podcast Co-op. I don't know about y'all, but... Honestly, the list of folks at Podcast Movement this year it's looks dope. really lit. Yeah, man. You got Reply All Guys. You've got, uh, I think, Tracy and Heaven from another round are going to be there. Your boy, Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. Whoa. Yes, Glenn Washington. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be lit. So you got to go. Go to podcastmovement.com for more information. Yeah. So, Open Mic is back. We have a guest, and if you know that means, we are going to do a mini-style debate where our guest in, um, debates with us on a topic we just talked about. So, Fidencio is going to debate with me, and Fidencio is going to interview, going to debate with James, and then James and I are going to debate with Fidencio on something we just talked about. First up is me and Fidencio. We're going to talk about maps versus GPS. Yes. The eternal struggle, mm-hmm. analog versus digital, and uh, the clock will start in now. All right, I am wholeheartedly in the camp of GPS. Okay, what about you? <laughs> I yeah, I use GPS also, but actually, I thought mm, like, what do you use? Like like maps, like the way I use maps specifically just for art just for art but that's a good conversation to have in the art itself because people say you know even migrants aren't using maps anymore they're using GPS so mm-hmm. how can you only use maps and I think that's a good conversation yeah that is kind of conversation so but... do you think in the art GPS should be something that I I'm gearing like the conversation oh, to be my way oh totally <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh man, I don't know because like I I like the idea of maps so much, but I don't know how to read it at all. And mm-hmm. I, I I learned when I was like I don't know eleven in class who like gave us like maps like this is how this is what an industry looks like. I'm like <laughs> okay, whatever. I'm not gonna drive, so I didn't care. And now I'm I'm still illiterate when it comes to maps because I can barely read a GPS. Yeah, like I have to have like the audio. Per- I have like the person <laughs> in my phone tell me where to go because yes. I don't know how to. Like I'm constantly lost all the time. Mm. And I think, well, the GPS is really, really helpful. I want to, I want to learn about maps more. I think maps are really mm-hmm. fun, and I used to love atlases and shit. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. So I love, I love maps, and I will stick with them, even though they are becoming something of the past, because they still play an importance for people that can't afford GPS. I mean, I think for sure that's another yeah, conversation but totally because gps is definitely from a, a part of privilege yes <laughs> it's totally yes. fair and it's like oh you can't read it that's too bad like yeah. figure out so for sure mm. Mm. <laughs> i don't know because I, I feel like uh, gosh because i gps man i ugh, I, I i love it but also i'm weird about it because what if your phone dies yeah exactly Oh God! <laughs> that was such a so mm, yeah I know like so story short I guess is learn to read a map share. <laughs> no, no, I think I was coming at it from like the art perspective of sure. why don't I use GPS in the art? 
Yeah, and I always say there's something, and there's it, are, are, I like you, I like the human touch of maps that no longer are used or someone used their purpose. But. I like that. Yeah. Next up is James and Videncio. Uh, they're going to be talking about why artists should be more organized. Yeah, we realize mm-hmm. we can't really have a debate because we just yeah. agree. They're and this so is a- amicable, it's adorable. <laughs> yeah, so rather than debating, we just both believe that artists should be more organized. I completely agree. So we're going to start right now. Yeah, so we both have had situations where the curator or someone gets back to us and they're, they're just amazed. We're surprised. I They're think just so like, happy about us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that was so fast. I sent it an hour ago. Mm-hmm. I guess my job is done. Yeah. yeah. So I think we should just take two minutes to just say mm-hmm. ways that y'all can be much more organized. Yes. Because all right, so one, treat art like your fucking job because mm-hmm. it is. So respond to people on time. Yeah. Reply to curators when they ask you for shit. If you want to collaborate on a show, make sure you have a timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, what else you got? Have a Google Docs. Just have everything already ready to go. Have your statement, your CV, your bio. Yeah. Like all of that done so that when something comes up, like you can just change the names at right. why it's particular to that organization or situation and just get it done to make everyone else, everyone else's life way easier. Yeah. And if you don't use Google Docs, this is what I do. I always keep a copy of my bio have one that's less than 50 words mm-hmm. and one that is less than 150 words have that on the same document have your press photo necessary yeah. and three photos high res please yeah. on dropbox so that way if somebody just has it i just have boom 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 send yeah. it off yeah that is like the one thing that uh, curators always tell me they're like people always forget to do this or don't send it at the last minute mm, yeah what else you got hmm well those were the key ones but yeah. i think also, I think navigating just like, how are you going to get paid? Are you going to get paid? Mm-hmm. Getting, uh, asking those questions from the beginning because yes. it is your job. Yes. It, you mm-hmm. decided to go and study it. So like, yeah. And treat it like yeah. And obviously like we're saying this is like two cis dudes here, yeah, but it's like, true. um, at the very beginning when you're having a conversation, like I have a snippet using the program text expander mm. on my computer. So I can just like type in a couple words and it just like populates a, um, uh, like a template of something I ask. Mm. And whenever somebody asks me for something, Amelia says, this sounds great. By the oh. way, is there an honorarium for a participating yeah. artist? Yeah. Um, and it just like immediately begins with that conversation. Yeah. And I always haven't been best at it, which is why now I think it's really important. Yeah. I, yeah. As I grow. Yeah, so that was your little pep talk. Yes, go get it. Awesome, guys. (laughs) And last but certainly not least, it is the final debate. This time, a little different. James and Videncio are going to debate with me. (laughs) Well, we're not going to debate. I'm on that out, but we're probably not going to debate too much. But I feel like this needs to be said because I am the one artist. I'm the one non-artist in the room, and I need to learn how to appreciate art more. So, Mm. so you wouldn't say that you're producing audio art right now, sir. Okay, the kind of art that you guys are, um, like the kind of art where like a paintbrush or like a digital brush, so it were um, in my hand. I don't do that. I just don't. So uh, I am creating art. This is my art, mm-hmm. but um, this is audio art. That's the art. That's the art that I'm um, used to and more accustomed to, but not the actual physical, tangible art that you can hold in your hand. So, in three minutes, we're going to talk about how I need to appreciate art more. Well, not necessarily, but how to appreciate art. How to appreciate art. Because I'm having trouble. All right. So timer starts now. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so here it is. I I think as I got older, I appreciate it more. I think when I was when I was younger in college, I thought the I, I thought I think the word that I knew, like going to like art shows, like like oh that's conceptual. That was my oh, that was yeah. my critique. That was my whole critique. Oh, that's conceptual. That was it. I, I had nothing else to give. And then I usually just like sit in the corner and drink whatever wine they had going on. Yeah. So like, um, as far as um, understanding the context behind art and certain platforms i have learned to appreciate it just because i've gotten older and and have certain situations gone i've gone through the same situations the artist has as well so i have a little more of a backstory a little more of context but um certainly i can definitely use a little more advice so i've got i've got three tips that might be a good way to start off Mm -hmm. one don't be afraid of the wall text don't be afraid. Don't feel like you're cheating yourself by mm. before seeing like a group of work of looking at the wall text and studying it. So read the wall text. If there is not wall text present, there more than likely is like a pamphlet or something that has like the curator statement or the artist statements. Don't feel like you're cheating if you read that first. Second, spend as much time necessary with the work and try as hard as you can to like sit with it. Like, look at it, listen to it, stand in front of it, try to find out every little piece around it. And honestly, art is about asking questions, not necessarily making the answer. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and third but not least, try to view the work not at an opening, but during mm-hmm. gallery hours. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times the distractions of having people around you, a lot of times art openings are just a social event. Yeah. Um, and experiencing the work during gallery hours where it's maybe just one or two other people there you experience it a lot different interesting i think my issue too is performance art and that's another thing mm. but yeah go for um what about you fidencia yeah hit me so i think regardless of what emotion you get i think it's all valid even if it's anger or like confusion um look at that feeling and ask yourself why because maybe in, that in itself is going to help you look at the artwork differently. Um, and it might also just, you might get at some truth or think that the artwork might be bad, whatever. But in, in doing so, you help out the artist by giving them your feedback, regardless of what it is. Like, it's all appreciated. Okay. Yeah. I think that's my issue, too. It's not it's seeing art that I don't think is good and mm-hmm. then also not even sure if me thinking it's good is even valid because who am I to say it's bad I don't know anything about art mm-hmm. so um, it, I have know, let me tell you something usually art that is only made for artists oh. is pretty is usually bad I'm going to be completely honest mm-hmm. at least to me usually if artists can only be read by other intellectuals quote unquote intellectuals in that case it's usually a problem from the artist point okay mm. so don't don't feel don't feel like yeah. ashamed in that type of way that you're not intellectually high enough to reach it whatever right. and I, I, think ca- that's, I honestly I, think it's bullshit yeah because I, I think that is probably like a um an issue with me it's just like oh i guess i'm not good enough for, or like i don't understand this piece and this is maybe not for me and i think that is kind of something i kind of it's crushed for me i guess like oh it's not for me i guess so i'll just, I'll just go over here and um but yeah thank you guys it's been food for thought for sure and i appreciate your, your yeah. comments yeah. <laughs> hey james hey share you know what time it is it's open call it's time. open call time <laughs> open call time. Open call. 
It's up and call time. Up and call. Up and call. And it's funny because I was looking right at Fidencio and you were just like grinning because you knew exactly what <laughs> yeah. yeah, up and call time. So I'm really excited. I love about that. the I love the little beat you use. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so great. So, great. <laughs> so Yeah, we'll start off with our guest. Okay. So what are you feeling this week? This week, um I'm feeling Jose Orduña's book which is called The Weight of Shadows, uh, A Memoir of Immigration and Displacement. And the reason why I, I really like it is because it's, I, I know him also. He, we both have similar experiences. We both were in Iowa. He was a writer. Um, and we both were trying to navigate this weird Midwest place uh, as immigrants. And again, we were both undocumented immigrants. He no longer is. Good for him. <laughs> but I love the book because it, for the first time I saw myself and the media specifically writing this thing about visibility, with, which I think is important. Um, so I read his book this last week and still reading it now. Um, and yeah, I, I'm very open about the fact that I cried for the first time because I saw myself in this book, which I've never seen before. Uh, and he's a little mad. He's a little mad about navigating the fact that he is becoming a citizen of the u.s which is a very weird thing like it goes against the idea that immigrants have to be grateful and happy and whatever so i think it's a good raw honest account of an immigrant story uh really liking it and it comes out april 12th and Excellent. i believe in his work yeah thank you very much yeah so what about you Cher? well um yesterday <laughs> I was hanging out here with some great friends and I was going to be watching a show that I haven't seen in a really long time called The O.C. Ooh. With Jason Schwartzman and seeing the theme song. Um, as you know, guys, I have another podcast with the lovely Shoopy Shaw called Gossip Girls and we dissect every episode of Gossip Girl from the very beginning. But... Gossip Girl wouldn't be around literally because mm. J- Josh Schwartz created the OC and then he was executive producer for Gossip Girls. Gossip Girl. So, like, I'm re watching the show. I'm like, oh my God, Marissa is Serena. You know, Ryan is, you know, supposed to be like the Dan Humphrey. And it's just so many, um, so many fucking similarities between these characters, but also, um, well, as much as I love the OC, I prefer Gossip Girl because I just think the characters are better. But it's so tr- it's so bad, it's so bad, and the music is fantastic, but the acting is terrible. The lighting is weird. The cameras are I don't know. I don't know what's happening on the show half the time, but I love it. The theme song's fantastic, and yeah, just the OC man. It's on Hulu. Um, hard endorsement. So uh, that is what I'm feeling this week, and I look forward to finishing um, season one on Hulu. What about you, James? So what I'm feeling this week, I'm going to give you a little story. Oh, geez. <laughs> so a couple of days ago, we had a little friendship dinner with our neighbors, our neighbors that lived right across the street from us. We live in a fabulous neighborhood of Pilsen. As I'll say again, don't move there. Okay. Sorry. And, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. You're fine. <laughs> You're fine. Just other people who, yeah. um, Yeah. <laughs> So we went over to our neighbor's house and we had like a delicious dinner. We had uh, chili and just good times. But the one thing I learned there literally blew my mind. And it was the act of massaging kale. Have y'all heard of this? Yes. No. I had no idea about this. So 
I felt completely bad because I had been doing kale and all the assorted greens wrong for years. I've been eating them dried out. I've been eating them crispy, like fucked it all up. But I learned about this idea of massaging kale from my friend and neighbor. Her name is Grace Needleman. Shout out to you, Grace. Hope you hear this. And she said she learned about massaging kale, of course, from a friend of hers from the Bay Area. Because, of course, the Bay Area. And <laughs> <laughs> I love the Bay so much. Uh, and so massaging kale, like, it's exactly what you think of. You have all your kale in a bowl. You pick apart the stems from the kale, place it in a bowl. You put a little bit of olive oil in it. And just for minutes, you're just like... <laughs> fingering the kale and uh, <laughs> had to do it and did you <laughs> and you're just taking it through like you know i'm doing a motion right now with my hands that mm-hmm. obviously He's like you, obviously you can see and you do that for about like three to five minutes and i had that and it was like the best bowl of kale that i ever had and i've been doing that ever since now just massaging all my kale before i eat it very nice you say you knew about this right financio yep of course, of course, I learned about it in the MFA <laughs> artist scene. Right, graduate school. Yeah, I just been eat. I've been eating dry, dry ass kale for the Living longest. Just like wrong. just, just, just rinse with water and just like living your life wrong, James. It's so wrong. So I saw, I saute my kale. Right, but that's the thing. Like I used to saute it, but it was pre-massage saute. Word. So it wasn't as good. Okay. And then I had a sauteed kale after massaging. It just like felt better. We did it, James. We did it. Episode 49. 49. We're one more away from 50. I can't believe we're, we're just, we're just keep on doing it. Keep on growing. I can't believe this. I, I can't believe we are almost at the big 5-0. I know. Fidencio, you are like wheeling wow. us in. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. To, yeah. Thank well, you. almost. Almost. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah we're one. almost there. Mm-hmm. So again, thank you so much for deciding to join us. Thank you. And talk about the weeds of the art world as well as your history uh it was so great as an avid listener i yeah thank you oh thank you very much and we also want to give another thank you to the chicago podcast co-op for letting us be a part of their network if you like this show you will probably enjoy team gfb radio can you tell me about that, Cher? Sure. Dave Lane and Daryl Wesner share tales from the front line of game development and talk current events in the games industry. That is Team GFB Radio here at the CPC. And we also want to give a special thanks to Cards Against Humanity Thank for you, letting Cards. us use their space. And all the planning, script writing, and all that fun shit was done by Cher and myself. And who did the music? U plus one F six zero C, which is a Unicode for the Blitzout emoji and the musical side project of James. You can also rate us on iTunes. You can recommend us on Overcast, and you can be the needle and thread to our ears on Stitcher. On the Stitch. And last but not least, speaking of the uh, the economy and all that, you can donate to us. 
Give us some money so we can pay some bills. Yeah, you can send us over some cash. Uh, You can do that where share. You can become a member at Patreon starting at $1 a month at patreon.com slash open-ended. Or you can send us a payment through our website at openended.fm slash donate through Square Cash. And yeah, like we are trying to do some really fun stuff in the upcoming months trying to do some traveling so you should head over there and uh, help us make our way across the country sure thing and if you have any other follow-up or any questions after this episode we want to answer them in our open up segment so make sure to go to ask.fm slash open-ended yeah we want to have some questions for our 50th episode which is next week what the fuck so you should like do that i want some questions some real questions too not like you know what kind of hair product you use no i want some real questions i want some real shit so that is open you can go to ask.fm slash open-ended or you can use a hashtag on twitter ask open-ended and last but not least, if you want to contact us, you can do so where? Go to openended.fm slash contact, or you can hit us up on Twitter at openended.fm. And lastly, email us. You can go to theopenendedpodcast at gmail.com. And that is for feedback. If you think we're doing great, which we are doing great, and you should just let us know about that, you can go to those websites. Yeah. And you should also go to Fidencio's websites, too. Yeah, because it's dope. Yes. So, as we'd say at the end of every episode, keep things open-ended. You just started doing that 10 stuff. I was like, what is this? Fine. <laughs> because I realized a lot of times when we edit, like, shit is way too short, and then I only have, like, a half right. second well, of gap. Yeah, but no, there was no explanation like, for that. You just did it. Yeah. Hey, fine, I'll do five. No, fine. we can do 10, but no, we'll there, do was, there was no backstory. Just no, 10 we'll is arbitrary. Right. We'll do 10. It's fine. I didn't for know there was backstory. Open-ended. <laughs> open up segment because Cher likes five five four